Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Right, hello, Egg Chasers. Second podcast of the week. This one looking at the game of the century, as it was dubbed, in the year 2000 between Australia and New Zealand. If you've not watched it, well, take this opportunity to hit pause and go and uh, click on the link on our Twitter feed, twitter.com forward slash rugby podcast or if you just go to youtube and type in australia v new zealand 2000 it's on the all blacks official youtube channel go watch the game and then you can come back and hear our thoughts on it if you know the game we're talking about well let's crack on jb is there with a big yawn sorry to interrupt you with that and phil hello tim hello just finished the workout phil uh just been for a run yes where do you go where do you go uh i went about 7k um just just a nice nice relatively what was supposed to be relatively gentle but it was bloody hot and humid so not it is that, not I, gentle i've decided it's not a good look to talk about our, uh, our workouts on the podcast because it's just it's a version of the humble brag so no one wants to know about my 16 kg weighted chin-ups and, I, and so <laughs> won't be saying more about them no That's one wants to know no one's no one wants to know that i once again came second in a b category race on zwift so i won't mention it <laughs> Now, just whilst we're on this, um, as I, there's a decision I, I made last night, or nearly made, I should say. I would be interested to know what you guys think. What do you think of the, of the CrossFit? Well, they're not official CrossFit, but the CrossFit-style rucksacks, which have got military undertones. Do you think they're ridiculous or quite cool? <laughs> Depends what you're using them for. CrossFit. You... Go to the gym. Yeah. I've, there's, there's, no, there's no need to have the camouflage on them because you're, you don't need to be camouflaged. So I have, I have a weighted vest and oh. it's, it's, it's plain black because I will not wear a camouflage one. Well, it'd be dangerous. <laughs> Sneaking up on people 10 kg heavier. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, so first thing, Tim, is um, you know, you're going to look like a lunatic going around Charlton Warspock. There's a real danger of arrest if you're you know, running around Charlton Wars Park in camouflage. I'd never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. Second of all, if you get into, you know, problems at Snowdonia with your weighted vest, it's going to be a damn sight harder for Mountain Rescue to find you. It's true. <laughs> you, make, you make some strong points. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful segue into a game 20 years ago between Australia and New Zealand as well. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, well, okay. So I'm going to kick off with this. Of all the games that we've done so far, this is the best. Yes. Hands what a game. I mean, the game of the century. They're right. They're absolutely right. Now, spoiler alert, you have to find it on the All Blacks well. the All Blacks <laughs> So uh, I didn't know the result, but I kind of did know, did know the result, and I was devastated by it. Uh, 
Also, 109,000 people. Yes. Now, How? That must have been standing. That, that's not seated, is it? Surely. Well, I don't know. I mean, look, I go to watch Sale Sharks uh, every now and again, so I know what a big crowd looks like. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? It is. And it made me sad. You know, I'm going to start off with this. It made me so sad because it just felt like a simpler time. Friends would have been on the t- TV and no one had Twitter and Australians cared about their rugby and they had such strength in depth and such great players. And they were, you know, they're all singing uh, Walt, uh, uh, Waltz and Matilda. It just felt, it felt wonderful. So I've, I've just checked. It would have been 109,000 seated in the stadium. Oh, oh, hold on, because it was year 2000 Sydney Olympics, so they'd obviously correct. expanded. It, well, it was the new stadium specifically for the Olympics. So is it, it tel- uh It is formerly, yeah, the Telstra Stadium, currently ANZ, ANZ Stadium. Okay, so they scaled that, that. As soon as the Olympics was over, they scaled the stadium back again. How? Yeah. A crowbarring out seats. How do they do it? Uh, yes, you you could raise raise the level out level up to take seats out. Ah, do you reckon that's what they did? I mean, you are the expert on stadiums now. Um, they might have done. Um, Both building them. Yeah, uh, um, Etihad Stadium, which was Commonwealth Games, they actually went down to put more seats in. Did they? Yeah, to yeah. to because previously they had a running track around it, and then. You don't want a running track round a um, a football pitch, a football and stadium. It, yeah, and if you look at the Etihad Stadium from the outside, it doesn't look as nearly as big as it is on the inside because it's it's three tiers tall when you're inside it, but it's only looks like a one or two tier stadium from the outside. But do they have to rebuild the thing? No, it was it was designed like that. So oh. it, was de- it, it was designed to allow you then to dig further down and put in more seating. So but I. Go back on that. You can't then sort of lay things on top of it and have the running track again. Once it's done, it's done. Well, so there would be a way of doing it. Um, it was looked at because Manchester were looking at bidding for a future Commonwealth Games. Um, mm. So they, they looked at reconverting it temporarily back into a running track. Like they, the, the London Stadium, have they not got some thing where they can they can sort of move stadiums back and have a running track or is there always a running track there? Uh, yeah, I, do. I don't know. That's anyway. where West Ham play now, isn't it? Yeah. But whatever yeah. the case, 109,000 people, that was crazy. And like you say, compare and contrast Australian rugby then with now. It's, uh, it's fallen a long, long way in 20 years. Well, this, so Australia, the year before this, they won the World Cup and they, they were in a transition kind of team so a few players finished when they won the world cup and they were transitioning from that team to the one that four years later got to the world cup final and lost due to the johnny wilkinson drop goal deep into extra time so this was a rich period of um, history for australian rugby yeah do you know what watching this game as well there are so many talking points i mean hardly anything about the game the game is amazing but just (laughs) The rich history of all the players involved, what they all achieved, what they went on, what they went on, 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 um, on to do after this game. Uh, it, the list just goes on and on and on. And also, there's so many questions that, that I have. Um, you know, chief among them is, 
I still can't work out why Stephen Larkin was any good. Can you? He, he seemed to have so much time on the ball. Yeah. I, I can't, like, if you were the, the New Zealand defence coach, I would just be screaming, just smash him. Just get right up in his face and smash him. Two men up at him every time. But he just seemed to, like, like hover around and ghost around. It looked like he had ages. I can see He's a little bit like Johnny Sexton, don't you think? In that sometimes you go, how, how are people falling for this little runaround? And Larkham did a million of the Johnny Sexton runarounds. It, it was more than that, Tim. It, it's, it's more than that. It's like a conspiracy of types. You know, you know the sort of conspiracy you find at um, mainstream universities now. Um, that everyone decided that Larkham was good and therefore they weren't going to touch him. And no one was going to question his greatness. Everybody in the Australia team had a kick at sticks except for the fly half. this. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's, yeah, he's best of the world, best of the world, best of the world. Now, I love the guy. And, but it's like the opposition team just let him run through as and when. Oh, Stephen's got the ball. Everyone move out the way. And they literally did that. Yeah. And, but that, that is it's the sign of a great player when they, they look like they've got loads of time and they make everything look so effortless that you can't even... You almost can't work out how they're doing what they're doing. Like some yeah. of his breaks, there is no way, no one on earth he should have got anywhere near breaking the line. And yet he managed it. He, he, he just waltzes through. And people can, and they're just so deceptive with their hands. I played with a guy and he was an ex-professional, professional rugby league player. And he played well into his 40s, I think. Uh, what, what, what have you A guy called Simon Vickers. I know that name. Did he play at like Bedford or... He played pro rugby league, definitely. And he just had really good hands. But he could just... I don't know what it was. He just looked in a direction. I find myself running in that direction. Uh, and he's never passed the ball. And then he just, you know, goes through. And this is when he was like mid, late, like mid, middle, late 30s. I don't know how people do it. But some people just have this gift. And I think we're all about... Yeah, the deception with the body shape, the hands going one way, the eyes going the other way. Like, you can't pick that up from, from the screen. Dude, amazingly well, amazingly well, is George Ford. He sort of arches his body and then sort of... Can, can, he can run sideways. He can run in the position of a cocked pass, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he has that same... The time on the ball and the effortless glide through the gaps. But then the stunning athleticism afterwards and every possible skill in the book. Whereas Walkham didn't seem to have all those other bits. Just that one bit. <laughs> just, just on the goal kicking thing, it's still incredible that John Eales was a goal kicker. And, well, um, he well, attempts, wasn't he? Well, he had a couple of attempts and didn't get them, but he was at World Cups and at international level. And it's, I, it's, it, it shouldn't be overstated that it is impressive just to be a lock taking a goal kick and not looking ridiculous. <laughs> that, is a, that, that is incredible in itself when, you, when you're 6 foot 10 and you don't look like a, a mule when you're taking a goal kick that, that's, uh, that takes some skill who, so a list of phenomenal kickers who are big lads Chris Jones from Sale apparently was a cracking kicker oh yeah the, the lock back row yeah and someone closer to home Bryn Williams of Barbarians of Fame and friend of the pod an amazing kicker did, has he ever kicked a penalty in a competitive match? Because I played with him for a couple of years and I'm fairly... I think I played 10 with him for, for at least one year. Uh, I, when, sorry, when I was playing 10, not Brim Williams. Um, I, I, the Larkham style kicking, Tim? Uh, I, I did as much kicking as Larkham did in that game. 
from yeah. 10. No, 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 guy can kick. Legitimately. The names on the field, this is a, a golden age of, of rugby in general. There was, on the Australian side, you've already mentioned Larkham, but Gregan and Jason Little, Joe Roth, um, Chris Latham, uh, and then in the forwards, Jeremy Paul and um, I'm trying to think of the locks now. I can't remember. John, John Eels. John Eels, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, try and name the players in that team who are not Brumbies. Because certainly in the back line, I think everyone is a Brumby except for Latham wasn't. He was New South Wales, I think. The other winger, uh, Mortlock was, uh, Roth was, Herbert was, I think. No, maybe Herbert wasn't. Um, obviously, Larkham and Gregan were. Um... Nice and niche Super Rugby lineups circa <laughs> yeah. 2000. And I... <laughs> yeah. Well, little played. Maybe Herbert was Brumbies. But, you know, Jim, Jim Williams was, Eels was, Jeremy Paul was. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, But then on the New Zealand side of things as well, and there's something about this era of rugby, I don't know what it was, but a lot of the names involved in rugby during this era, whatever country you look at, seem to be, I don't know, partly it's the age they are now, but they seem to have a level of recognition with the public that means they are pundits and columnists and pre- presenters and do all the hospitality stuff. On the New Zealand side, you Christian Cullen and Jonah Lomu, obviously, the late great. Um, some huge names all over the park in that team. Tane Randell, he was yes. awesome. Oh, the guy that stood out for me in the back row was the unbreak Ron Cripp. Do you remember Ron Cripp? Not really, no. No, well, neither do I. Well, I do and I don't. So I knew what he looked like, and I was racking my brains as to what his name was. And I, I recognise him because you remember back in the day when we were watching this game in 2000 or whenever it's played, uh, there was um, very little in the way of rugby coverage. Like, you couldn't just go on YouTube and watch you know, Ron Cribb highlights. And I remember, <laughs> I remember reading an old issue of like, Rugby World or whatever the magazine was in the day, and it had a whole article about Ron Cribb. And from that point on, um, until maybe a couple of years ago, I assumed that Rob, Ron Cribb was by far the best number eight in the world, just based I've hardly ever seen him play, just based on this... Um, uh, on this one article, but I couldn't remember his name. I could just, just remember the face. So I saw him and went, ah, that, um, that's the guy there, Ron Cribb. And from what I can tell, I think he was a little bit like, um, almost like a miniature Pierre, Pierre Spies. What I mean by that, like incredibly quick, incredibly athletic, but maybe not, uh, live, maybe didn't live up, to, live up to his potential. He had a good game, Cribb, I thought, and, and Tane Randall. Cribby and Tane Randall had a great game. Yeah, but Ron Cribb's Ron Cribb, and Tane Randall's one of the best players of all time. All time, yeah. On the other side, so I, I cannot at all remember Jim Williams. And what? Big Jim Williams? Big Jim, I, I, Munster. So, did he go to Munster? How would you not know? So uh, this is one of the things I was going to bring up. You know, you're bi- you know you're big. You know you're good, right? When you, it's like Big Ben Roethlisberger. If someone's put big on the, your name <laughs> or whatever it is on the front of your name, you know oh, I wasn't sure if I was getting confused with Nick Williams. Well, yes. Yeah. I, um, but no, big Jim Williams. A quality, quality player. He, he had a great game. I thought he was absolutely awesome, his carrying. Yeah, yeah, complete, uh, I, I completely agree. So I've actually got down on it, um, the Jim Williams try. Of course, he doesn't score the try. 
He sets up the try for, uh, I can't remember who it was, one of the outside backs, I think. Joe Rock, I think. Oh, yeah. oh Mortlock. No, it's, yeah, it's Mortlock. Might yeah. have been Mortlock's second. Yeah. But it just takes your breath away. Just the way, the way he runs through the guys, the way he's so slippery, and then little, little offload, and then they're in. Watching George Gregan again, he's such a rare talent. He was such a rare talent as a rugby player. But, and and I'm, I was trying to think, are there any other rugby players that almost everyone that's ever played the game will have played in a team that has a move <laughs> named after him? Everyone's got <laughs> Gregan, Gregan. And you know what it is. Scrum off, crabs across, pops back inside. Back inside. <laughs> I've, I've, actually, I've actually got on my notes here. Um, ah, that's why they call it a Gregan. <laughs> because it, <laughs> it's pretty consistent. Yeah. Well, Gregan... What, one of his most important interventions, which he did at least twice, was actually his cover tackling on Lomu. When Lomu breaks down the wing a couple of times, Gregan is the one who gets back and, and stops him. So that was a huge aspect of his play. That um, mm. When he's moving like the Millennium Falcon, uh, which Tim has on his, um, on his bookshelf there, just out of interest. Um, <laughs> And then he stops and stops going sideways looking for support and eventually finds Joe Roth. Yeah, it's quality. I mean, we, we've even jumped over the start, which was ridiculous. Yeah. Four minutes, three tries for New Zealand. Yeah, and isn't it lucky that the Australians are arrogant? I mean that in the sort of good sense. Because there's not many teams that could, that could take that. And that wasn't the end of it either. And people think it's, oh yeah, the three tries, great. It's three tries and then a penalty. Then a very, very near miss with Lomu. Yeah. And so it, it was after what seven minutes, it's 24 nil yeah. after seven minutes. And Australia come back to be leading at half time, which is yeah. astonishing, which is absolutely that that comeback, that swing in the half was incredible. Yeah. Was it? I, well, it wasn't all terrible defence either. There was there was actually uh, quite a lot of full blooded defence going on. There, but there, I mean, there were holes. Don't get me wrong. But the, <laughs> the the pace that that game was played at was it was just relentless. It was so, relentless. I, <laughs> like the fourth try that the that Australia score. It's like they're not. It's like they're trying not to score it. I mean, I was looking at the the, the seven, the All Black seven. Imagine an All Black seven running back to his defensive line with his back turned. I mean, you learn. <laughs> But yeah, here he is. Uh, and then they're knocking on, on the door. There seems to be no guards anywhere. And eventually, Australia get over, but they don't make it easy. And I'm like, you know, you couldn't play like that nowadays. I mean, the gulf between what defences do now and what they were trying to do back then, it's just enormous. So the, my observation on that, that the defensive structure was all over the place compared to what it is now. But the big thing was the, like, the risk-reward dial for the attack for both teams, was just turned all the way to risk. Like, yeah. there's, there's some teams who play a very risk-averse style of rugby. Like, Exeter, when they're in the opposition's 22, yes. they're going to they're gonna kill you, but it's the most risk-averse because it is, it's one-out rugby, basically. They're a boa constrictor. They're waiting for you to breathe in, then they'll tighten a bit more, and they'll take as long as it takes to score that try. Whereas, like you say, in that situation, they didn't bother playing phase play in the 22. They just went nine to the backs every time and and it was the so it was going wide early when it's whether it's on or it's not you're going wide early and also so the the big thing that worked in both teams favor and that like when they're attacking and then cost them both when they're attacking was the offloading game 
which when it worked, it was magnificent. You had big blokes bending the line and then guys hitting the ball full pace, taking the offload. But it was so risky. It was so unbelievably risky that it cost tries. Like the first try of the game was Latham picking up a loose ball, trying to offload it, and he offloads it immediately to Tarnum Umaga. Umaga jogs in 30 yards. Well, talking about risk, I mean, the All Blacks play the ball in their own 22 across their own posts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who the see is this? Nobody does that. No one in their right mind plays across their own posts in their own 22. Wade Cooper, maybe. Maybe Quade Cooper. Maybe if you're absolutely desperate. They're not in the first half of the rugby. <laughs> I mean, you, you, talk H, don't, don't, don't do that. Talk H. Well, another observation about the game. Like, Do you remember... I remember the kit that the referee had, but I can't remember who the referee was or what they looked like or anything. Can you remember? So he got criticised a few times in the game by the uh, Partizan New Zealand comms team. So he's called, was it Andre, Andre Watson? Oh, it was Andre Watson, yeah, South African. Yeah, yeah, South African. And the reason I know that was because they, they were talking about it at one time. And every t- because it was a New Zealand comms team and they were pretty partisan, um, every time he got a decision wrong, they were slating him. And at one point they said, yeah, Andre Watson can just do this. He can have a good game for 70 minutes. And then there's just 10 minutes where you, have, you think he's lost his mind. You've got no idea what's going on. Isn't that a good game, though? Uh, I mean, that... Well, this was a good game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, uh, you know, obviously the New Zealand commentators did their best to make him a, a fixture, but I can't, I, I can't even think in my head what he looks like. Which, uh, but all, I was just struck when I got to the game. It's like, I don't remember the referee having really any part in this. It was the, that part of it was quite refreshing. And I don't know whether it's the, the mindset we all have going into games now or the TMO referrals, which I, I'm in favour of. I... I, I I want the right decision to be made at the right time. I'm not against it, but just, I think it may, maybe it's a mindset from a fan's point of view that we should just get back to thinking refs are there to facilitate a game. They're not a key piece in this puzzle. They're not a key part of the game. I agree. Nothing is new. And when we are trying to tinker with the rules, the laws, of course, in order to get a better game, why don't we just go back, uh, go back in the past, 109,000 people turned up to watch this. They must have been doing something right. And watching it back 20 years ago, from 20 years ago, it still stacks up as one of the greatest games. I mean, it's not like watching the old Barbarians where, you know, a bunch of doctors and dentists aimlessly flung around the ball. This is real rugby, and it worked really well. So there might be a lesson there. But I, I can't... So I don't think you could get any referee in the world other than totally saying just do whatever the hell you want to, to referee a game like this in today's climate because of the, the defensive structure and the risk-averse nature uh, that uh, attacks um, no. play with. And, so, and something, JB, you said at the start, you said there was no Twitter and things like that. And I wonder how much that is in the back of referees' minds. They know if they make, if they make a decision that's wrong, that's it. They're going to get hammered in slow-mo, every angle, everyone posting about it. Whereas it's kind of, back 20 years ago, yeah, you might make a mistake and it makes a newspaper column, but it's gone. It's done. Yeah. Yeah, fair, fair point. Um, oh, you made me lost my... Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sadly, over the lockdown, I have um, developed a rather unhealthy habit of watching motorsport. God knows where, where this has come from, um, but I just have. 
I've, I've never been into cars, never, never liked motorsport, but I just can't stop, stop watching it now. And in terms of the laws of rugby, I wonder if it's a case of maybe we couldn't go back to this because like in F1, they have to change the rules every five or six years because people get so good at gaming the rules or so good at playing to the rules that it no longer becomes competitive. And I wonder if there's a case of that, that, in, that in rugby, which is if you st- keep it static for too long, the Wiley defence coaches and the Wiley attack coaches just get too smart. Maybe there is something in that. And you, you do need to keep changing things or tweaking things to keep it fresh. Mm. Uh, now, let me talk about a, a, about a player. Because um, I kind of think, well, he's undoubtedly one of the best, 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 best that's ever played. But Tona Umonga, one of the things that struck me is, I feel like he's had two careers. I feel like he's had a career. If you think about him, he was one of the best outside backs in the world. In that, um, in that threesome with uh, Cullen and Lomu. But then later on, you think of him as the All Blacks captain and probably the best centre pairing ever, or one of the best centre pairings. When Conrad, he lined up against Conrad Smith. Conrad Smith or more Nanu, but he was he was the one that he was the, he was the straw that stood the drink. Yeah, he he has, but in a similar way. So back in those days, I I seem to think of um, there being fewer specialised, certainly centres and backs. As in, um, Sterling Mortlock was playing on the wing. Johnny Wilkinson yeah. got made his international debut on the wing, didn't he? And it yeah. was it was often a. You not make uh, it. Sorry, where? I think he played 13, Johnny Wilkinson, in his debut. He, de- I'm sh- he definitely played for England on the wing at, at some point. It might not have been debut. Mike Katz played Mike Katz played on the wing for England. Yeah, which, which just seems crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. But there were fewer specialised positions and people were basically blooded and given experience of international rugby on the wing, even yeah. when their primary position was elsewhere. Maybe that kind of comes back to what we were saying before about the game being so competitive. I mean, you couldn't afford to blood a player. You couldn't afford, I don't know, just pick a inside, an inside centre making his bones now and throw him on the wing to give him an international experience. You'd be insane. Yeah. You, is that, is, did that not happen with Tuolangi, though? Yeah, it did. Not, uh, but not as... He played not as his starting point, was it? Because that was in the 2012 tour to New Zealand where there was an experiment. He'd already played I don't uh, know, 10, yes, or 15, right. 10 or 15 caps for England. You not played on the wing for for Eddie Jones, maybe? Have I made that up? No, he's not. He's already been fit for Eddie Jones. He definitely played there for Lancaster. Yeah, he did. Certainly, it was England 2012 tour to New Zealand. But just imagine taking out now. Um, I'm trying to think of a young English centre, um, Michael De Bourgeois or whatever the hell his name is. You know, maybe he's going to not and just throwing him on the wing. Like, you know, let's just see. Let's just see how he get on there against. Teddy Thomas. Yeah, or Rico Ioannis against him. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah, Corabetti or someone. Radrada. Nope. There's, there's just no space, is there, for the development of players. You've got to come in, you've got, you've got to be specialist, and you've got to do a good job immediately. You do when you get, when you get to that level. I, I still think before that and at lower levels, there is um, far more room, far more wiggle room for... Um, being more generalist and playing multiple different positions. 
but I think by the time you get to the bigger stage, unless you're a like, seriously precociously talented individual who has experience of playing at a very high level in multiple positions, you've got to be fairly specialised. Yeah, and I mean, just yeah. look, at the, look at the aimless kicking in this game. Like, if you were a back three player for New Zealand, whatever, who cares? Well, oh, you just, you, you've served me up another dolly, have you, uh, Stephen Larkin? Fair enough. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll gobble that one up as well and, and return it with interest. I mean, this was obviously a few years since that France game that we that we reviewed, um, and the backfield coverage had improved, but it was still by no means perfect. Yeah, it was it kind of optional. It's only it's only one year after, because it was ninety nine. Yeah, ninety nine. The France game. Crikey! It felt like a lifetime after that. It did. The someone had been working on the uh, New Zealand back three's defensive positioning in between those two games for, for obvious reasons. Bloody hell. Yeah, I, I, for some reason I was assuming it was like five years afterwards. But no, <laughs> I woke up. Can I see, got to point out one feature of this game which, um, which I miss a little bit of. I, I always had a slight romance about the boulder of an inside centre. Rod Kafer came on and he had a huge career for Australia subsequent to this uh, World Cup winner, no, uh, it was a World Cup winner. No. Anyway, he had a huge career for Australia, whether he was a World Cup winner or not the year before, I don't know. But anyway, a boulder of an inside centre who had hands, but uh, you don't see these, these kind of shaped centres much anymore. Scott Gibbs type, mm. type shape. Smaller, you mean the smaller types? Yeah, but I mean, no, like, like, to, like the shape Tom Young's was when he was a centre for Leicester as well, before he moved to hooker. Deontay, would he count? He's a bit more uh, taller and rangy. The, yeah. the, ga- the guy is Laumape. The, the, La- one, the one guy like that. That's he a good is, shout. He is... what, what, what about the Premiership's best centre? Not Mark Atkinson. The, sorry, the Premiership's second best centre. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Rohan Janzi von Rensburg is actually a, a, a good shout. He, he seems like a bit of a throwback now, doesn't he? He does well. That, and he's also awesome. In fact, if you <laughs> think about it, God, I'm 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 very worried about how he's going to look after lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice all the all the pictures of players going back to training today? Yeah, yeah, nice to see. Yeah, it's it's good to see. Yeah, we, mind you, it was raining in Manchester today. Surprise, surprise. Bit bit on and off. There's a storm. Uh, there was this evening. <laughs> He's roasting before that. And there was, there was, there was a storm at lunchtime because I'm recording my radio show from home and it was, it was thunder and lightning during my show, which is, uh, I don't know why I said to say. <laughs> you can hear the rain at the minute because I'm in a loft. I'm in a loft room in my house. There we go. <laughs> More electric from Tim Cocker. Yeah. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Lau Mappi, do you know how yeah. tall and heavy he is? Uh, I'm I gonna guess say, I'm gonna I guess five, five nine, sixteen stone. Yes, uh, he's five seven. He's listed as and yeah, <laughs> six, sixteen stone three hundred and three kg. Nick wow. Greg, Nick Greg, that, that is a um, low center of gravity. Oh my god! And like that's all good weight as well. So a hundred yeah. kg <laughs> of good weight at five foot seven. Five seven. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Just in case. Just, just in case you miss, miss it the second time, Nick Grigg in, in Glasgow is the same sort of player. Nick Grigg, yes. Very, very small and stocky. Yeah, low centre of gravity. Explosive as well with it. Yeah. Um, actually, I've, I've just looked somewhere else and he's listed at 5'9". So he's somewhere between 5'7 and 5'9", depending on what you read. Mm. Big boy. Low, yeah, low centre of gravity. So I was looking at this and... Um, Renat, uh, <laughs> Lomu, I've come to the conclusion that some players are great because you assume that they, you know, that you assume they're bad at certain aspects of the sport because they're so good at other aspects. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so I always go on about Ronaldo. Ronaldo is an amazing header of a, of a ball, but people don't really realise that. They might do now, actually, but they never used to realise it because his feet are so good. Lomu is literally the opposite. He was just so, so good at what he did. Like, there are two occasions where he nearly completely messes up. The fourth try, which never was, straight after. Um, did he score the? Did he score the third try? No, Lomu scored the last try. Yeah, and then he scores the last try, and you think that is exactly why he's there. He's exactly why he's there. He can't kick. His offloads are fifty-fifty at best. His decision making when he makes the gap and he's got support with him. He's screaming at the thing, like, give the ball, give the ball, give the ball. But, like, everything about his game, he was just so good at the one thing he did. He was so monumentally good. He was as good as three or four of the next pe- uh, best people combined good. <laughs> yeah. Which means he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't, doesn't need to know about positioning or kicking or passing or decision-making. None of that mattered. Yeah. He's just so good because he's so big. He's so strong. He's so fast. Like, I, I, I love it when he rounds past eels and then does he go past jim williams yeah he goes past he's on a little arc goes straight past eels straight past williams down down the wing i can't remember who stops him i think it, it might have been gregan actually someone spider-man tackles him oh yeah someone someone jumps i can't remember who that i think it was um it might have been jeremy paul if someone off the bench who ju- like properly jumps up and wraps around it's a really really awkward clumsy looking tackle but then the mates deal with him, properly deal with him. Yeah. Uh, ah, the good old days when wings could just be wings. <laughs> just do you know, one thing. There's, there's a few things that I took from this. One, I forgot that Sterling Mortlock had hair once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he looked ridiculous like that. He did. He didn't, it didn't look right. Uh, also, uh, if I was... Bearing in mind, on, on the previous podcast we did this week, we talked about the there was a lot of great rugby in the in the New Zealand domestic matches, but also as a spectacle, maybe it was 
not as good as it could have been or will be in a few weeks' time. If I wanted to try and convert anybody to become a rugby fan and take an interest in rugby, even if they didn't know the laws, I would just sit them down and show them this game. Yeah. yeah exactly. This is what rugby can be. And, and whatever law tweaks you do, whatever changes you make, just, just ask yourself, would it get us closer or further away from Australia v New Zealand in the year 2000? That, that's basically the barometer we should use. And, and also, just to add to that, and why I love this game so much. There was this brilliant shot. I think it was after the New Zealand third try in four minutes. And it was just a sea of Wallabies fans. And the cameraman just picked out this one shot. All the Wallabies fans sat down. One New Zealander just going berserk in the middle. It was, uh, <laughs> loved it. I loved it. Do you think the style of rugby that Larkin plays, and in fact, all of Australian, the whole Australian team played that game, do you think it'd be effective at level eight? <laughs> um, if if it depends who's pulling the strings, because it's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple, and it's so effective. Now, it's not going to work in the Premiership. It's not going to work against Saracens, but it might be very, very effective even in the Championship going down. But can you get someone who can like Larkham? Eyes go one way, hands go the other, and the ball goes a so- totally different way, or he goes a totally different way through the gap. Well, I was thinking more like just the very simple patterns of it's either a switch or it's either dummy pop <laughs> switch or dummy switch pop. So that, over, over again. I, I think even that um, at level eight, you'd you'd struggle just because people have seen it so many times now. Yeah, but everyone's trying to do overs and unders and, you know, things which, you know, they're all trying to, they're all trying to copy uh, out-the-back rugby league passing and they're not really cut out for it. You know, it's very, very hard to get a bunch, you know, a bunch of guys to do this. But that, that Larkham style of loads of phases, loads of runners, hard, hard runners at the centre, that might actually work very well for a lot of teams. The hard-running centres... Definitely, if you've got two good hard-running centres, that, that DSP or um, P1 or D1, basically, yeah. that, that can work quite nicely. I don't really need Larkham, do I? I need Jason Little and Herbert. That That's line. probably more important, actually. No, Jay, you, at your current weight, surely you'll be playing outside centre. More like, more, like Jer- more like Jerry Guskett back, back in the day, though. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me, actually, um, the, in the Times last weekend, their top t- uh, Stuart Barnes and Stephen Jones did their top 10 centres of all time, and uh, Gavin Hastings made it into uh, Stephen Jones's top 10 centres ever. Those two are losing it. Those two are utterly losing it. Um, Stuart Barnes wrote, a, um, wrote an article the other day, and, you know, obviously there's riots on the street, Black Lives Matter, all, all the rest of it. But what is important is Stuart Bond somehow manipulates the sports of rugby uh, to fit the story of, you know, what's currently going on. So he decides that Mario Toji should be captain of the Lions. Now, there are many good reasons Mario Toji should be captain of the Lions, all of which are to do with rugby and none of which are to do with cultural statements. I can't think of a more stupid thing to say than we should make this guy captain for, for a cultural statement. Not only is it stupid in its own right, it's you know, objectively and demonstratively stupid, um, it's also incredibly insulting and not particularly uh, 
conducive to a good team atmosphere. But this is the guy that the Times gets to write their articles on a daily, well, weekly, if not daily basis. Well, yeah, what? so he could have said, yeah, he, he could, he, yeah, totally. He could have said, I would make Maru Itoji captain because I think, uh, you know, the, the best captains, Paul O'Connell, Martin Johnson, Willie John McBride have been locks and he's guaranteed to be starting. And in addition, once we've made that rugby decision, what a fantastic um, motif for rugby in the 21st century it would be to have Sia Khaleesi and Maru Itoji. Like, that's the way to do it. Not, yeah. we should pick him because it'll look good. Yeah, as a side, this, oh, this, this, this other thing has happened. But this is why we picked the guy. Just a stupid man. A stupid, stupid man. Sometimes. Sometimes. Apparently, he's very, he is very nice in real life. But I just hated that. that, <laughs> that, that, that whole, it made me rage. On that, ignoring Barnes's comment, I think Itoji might actually be a good shout. For the, mm. for the captain next year, of course he is. He, he's one of the one of the first names on the team sheet. He's got the respect of everyone. He's an intelligent all round footballer. And even though I've, I don't think I've ever seen him actually be the captain, maybe a couple of times at Saracens, but he he just exudes leadership. I think I've seen him being a captain. I think I'm the vice captain or captain. I'm sure he played captain when he was like. Do you know? What? I'm sure he was and, a captain when he was a kid. I think he was, he might have captained England under 20s actually. Um, or, or possibly the Saracens um, Anglo Welsh Cup team or whatever the competition yeah. was the year he was playing in it. Yeah, which would be about five years ago now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think he, he might be um, for the right reasons. I, I, I also agree that in South Africa, that would be, if that happened to be the way it fell as a rugby decision it would also be a pretty powerful image. It'd be marvellous. Well. The whole It'd be marvellous, yeah. 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 Rugby. And, you know, there's a very good chance that that might be the case. But it should also be the only case. Yes. I agree with that. Oh, it rounds me up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad the, the Times, Bartons and uh, Stephen Jones are still putting out good content, like picking their best centres and that kind <laughs> of nonsense. <laughs> yeah, top ten. Cheers, guys. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I I've lost my track. Oh yeah. Um, now, did Wilson play for Harlequins at, at some point? And when I say Wilson, not the fullback for the All Blacks, the flanker for Brumbies, David Wilson. I've got a feeling he went to Harlequins with Garrett Morgan for a, a short a short period. Let's have a quick look. I'm going to get uh, Davy Wilson here, aren't I? Yeah, David Wilson, born 1985. It's not him. David Wilson. Oh, the prop. Yeah. <laughs> Moose. Uh, 1967, Australian rugby. Uh, not according to Twitter. Uh, Twitter? Um, Wikipedia. Who was, the, who was the flanker that... I'm sure Harlequin signed that Australian flanker at the same time they had Garrett Moore. Oh, sure. wait, actually, tell a lie. In, the, in his playing career, it's just got him down as Queensland, Reds and Australia on the right-hand side. In the detail, uh, David moved to UK to play for NEC Harlequins. Um, a serious knee injury in 2001 European Shield final ended his playing career at 35. Yeah, I liked him. I remember him being... So he was like the best... He's the best open side in the world, or one of, as you'd expect, as you'd expect him to be, playing for Australia. But he was sort of the last of that breed because when he left the Brumbies, um, as a young lad they played, you've probably not heard of him, George Smith. Uh, was he any good? 
Did he do anything? Yeah, he was okay. He showed some er- he showed some early potential, uh, and then from that and from that point on, um, all sevens looked a little bit like George, like George Smith. So you got to remember th- these teams were out there playing, and in the academies for well, I say the academies in the age range groups for both New Zealand and Australia were George Smith and Richie McCaw. Ah, uh, yeah. McCaw would have been playing MPC at this point. And the reason that I know that is because this is the year that England went on tour, I think they went on tour to, um, to Colorado. And I was playing fantasy NPC rugby. And I was reading <laughs> the rooms. People were like, do, do you pick Richie McCaw? Is he that good or not? And he was 7, 19 at the time. <laughs> um, Gitto would have been just starting out maybe a year or two after this. As yeah. well, another Brumby. Just to give you a, an idea of the strength of the strength of that organisation, and Andrew Walker, who came off the bench, was also another Brumby. He was. Um, so, j- just to return to one of the opening points, then not only was this a golden era for Australian rugby in the present, that they were they they had a production line, they had fans, they had money and players and brilliant domestic sides. What happened? Super Rugby happened, I'm afraid. Super, mm. was it Super whatever it was, grew to Super 12 or 13, grew to 15, grew to... And it, just got it, was more... 12, it was 12 at this point. I remember the commentators referring to Super 12. Was it? Right. So it was 10, then 12, then 15. And there's a lesson, isn't there? And there's a lesson which we don't want to learn. Yet we are proceeding down this route of more complex tournaments, uh, particularly at international, that nobody cares about. And that's what happened to Super Rugby. Super Rugby was an awesome tournament. And I wonder if they pair it back down, even if they just paired it down to New Zealand teams and Australian teams, whether it would still be an awesome tournament. I suspect it'd be better. But they just grew it and it expanded. I say it expanded too quick. It expanded over 20 years and nobody cared. In the same way that Super League has ruined itself with all the ridiculousness of the playoffs. If you have a competition that nobody cares about or no one understands, no one will follow it. And that's why we don't want, for instance, promotion and relegation in the Six Nations or you know, a huge overarching two-year structure of a nation's cup or any of that nonsense don't want it and to tie it into this very game as well it's also a reason why do away i understand money but do away with the third bledisloe cup match just to keep it special yes but of course they're in this dangerous dance aren't they the, you know the, the the death spiral of they need more money to no, sorry they need more games to produce more money but the more games they have the less valuable the games become yeah, it's a catch-22 situation, isn't it? Ideally, they really you know, restrict the games so they're more valuable. But then, you know, they're going to have to have... Just, uh... It's a gamble, that. Because if you, if you have half the number of games, can you charge double the, the ticket price on average? No. I, 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 I don't know. I, I would bank on the answer being no. I mean, it, you know, even the NFL are falling for this. Even the NFL want an expanded season. And they might have even got... Might have even got, got one in the new CBA. I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, they also, with all their success, want an, expand, an expanded season. And it's not all it's cracked up to be. More games are not better, as we have found out. Do you know who, just looked up, do you know who won Super 12 this season? In, in the year 2000? I'm going to say uh, the Brumbries, bearing, bearing in mind what JP's been saying. <laughs> it was Brumbies two years in a row, prior to that, it was Crusaders, and then it might have been the Sharks. Uh, so I can tell you it was a Brumbies Crusaders final this year, and Crusaders won by one point. Hey, 
Yeah. Was, Todd, was Todd Blackadder in the New Zealand squad, by the way? Did I, I can't he was, remember. He was captain. He was captain, yeah. Todd, Todd, Todd Blackadder was captain and Scott Robinson, who's the current uh, Crusaders coach. What's Scott? Ah. He, he was open side. He got taken off at half time yeah. or just, just after. So I wonder if... Um... I wonder if at that time Todd Blackard knew the names of the opposition players because he didn't have Bath, so it'd be a massive did <laughs> as a player. <laughs> lovely he, man, <laughs> lo- lovely man. He gave um, he gave a little speech after the game, a little interview after the game. He didn't exactly come across as inspired, like awe inspiring, in the face of one of the greatest ever victories and one of the greatest ever games. But he did he sounded look- a bit bored. Well, they did look underwhelmed, the All Blacks, when they came off. I was looking for the cheering and, you know, the cracking of cans. They just won a game for 109,000 people. They didn't seem that bothered. Well, admittedly, that was the first game of the Tri-Nations that year. Ah. The very first game. So they had to go do the same. Well, they had to host South Africa the following week and then um, host Australia the week after and then travel to South Africa. So it was basically... It didn't really mean anything at that stage. And Australia won the, um, the Tri-Nations that year. Now, I'm probably, I've probably got my ears mixed up slightly. But I seem to remember the South African team at this time being absolutely enormous. So, shock. And Is there an I, era when that hasn't been the case? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. But one of was this era of Andrew... I want to say Andrew Johns, but he's obviously the rugby league player. There was Andrew... What the hell was his name? The huge second row. Mark and, Andrews. Mark Andrews, thank, thank you very much. Ended up in Newcastle eventually. Uh, I'm sure that he was captain around this time. And they were just monstrous. In fact, the whole Tri-Nation series was so worth, so worth watching. Yeah, Mark Andrews was playing at this time. This was right in, right in the prime of his career. Oh, uh, Great days. Great days. Uh, I I, I thoroughly enjoyed this game. And like I say, if if, uh, this would be how I would convert non-rugby fans to rugby, just sit them down and put that game on, get them a beer. Yeah, this is also a game which I would use, um, I probably will use it actually, to demonstrate how not to do line-outs. I'm going to use it to demonstrate (laughs) how not to defend. I'm going to use it for all all sorts of other things. But weirdly, it did work as an entertainment spectacle. And that's kind of the weird, the weird thing about sports, or some sports, I guess, which is even though the component pieces were actually not very good, the overall thing was wonderful. Yeah, and the more, the more professional the teams get and the more um, intelligent the defensive structures get, the more you actually stifle some of, here's, some of that uh, creativity. Here's a law. As a professional, you're only allowed to... Ma- no, sorry. You're only allowed to make 20% of what you make in your day job to make sure that rugby stays amateur. <laughs> uh, That's your limit. Well, hand in your tax return at the end of the year. So, you know, if, if you're on, like, I don't know, you know, half a million quid with uh, you know, Virgin Radio and BT Sport, well, you know, you could... Earn <laughs> yeah, that yet. sounds about right. <laughs> Uh, but like, say if you're a plumber or whatnot, you can only earn 20% of your earnings just to make sure, you know, you've got, to make sure that you have to work. And that sounds absolutely primed for abuse of the system. No, I can't see anything. 
I like it. I, I think that checks out. Uh, I've really enjoyed that one. We'll have to, um, yeah, uh, uh, as we said on the last podcast, we've got information coming next weekend of a game we're going to be doing a watch along with that we'd love you to join us for on the World Rugby YouTube channel. Uh, so details coming there. If you haven't caught up with our podcast about uh, all the other stuff to do with rugby, not looking back at this classic game, it's in your feed right now. Hit subscribe, tell your mates, and let the boys play. Sorry, Tim. I, I know I've just ruined everything. Which no, no, just... no, 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 no. Sorry, go on. Uh, can I give you a bit of any other business? Oh, yeah. Like this. I know Phil's seen it, but um, our, our dear friend Ryan, friend, friend of the pod, sent us a tweet. And this tweet is one of the most remarkable tweets that I've ever seen. Uh, it is about a team in Argentina who looked like they were pretty good, looked like they are onto, uh, on, on, um, uh, onto great things. And it's a Twitter thread about what happens to this team under the military junta in Argentina. And it's absolutely, harrow, um, absolutely harrowing. Oh, so, it, was the, it was the anniversary of the, um, the end of the Falklands conflict wasn't it yesterday I, be- I believe it was which was when the military junta in argentina was overthrown what's that linked i wonder that, well, le- that led to the collapse that might have been why uh, this has been brought to your attention potentially but anyway i didn't mean to ruin your flow no no no, no. Uh, that's fine so the tweet is by a guy called edward jenkins um and it highlights uh, and he's highlighting this book and the book um the book isn't even in, even in english uh, I think it's either in Italian or Spanish. Uh, so have a look at the thread. Uh, it is, sorry about this. There you go. Uh, Edward Jenkins at EdGenX on Twitter. He's got a thread. It's about uh, nine, uh, nine tweets long. And it's, it starts with, um, it is the darkest, most tragic, most historic story I have ever heard about the game of rugby and perhaps about sport. And do you know what? He's probably not wrong. It's, it's an incredible thread. So oh, if you, you should read it. You should read it to us. Uh, I'm, rubbish at read, I'm rubbish, at, rubbish at reading aloud. But yeah, you should discover this yourself. And hopefully the story will be told, um, will be told in more full detail some point in the future. Because it deserves... Ed, Jen... What? People aren't going Ed, to find this, Jay. E E D E Ed Gen X. Ed Gen X. Or oh, go onto my Twitter. I've I've retweeted it. Yeah, I would say it is worth reading. Um, go onto Twitter and, and actually read this. Written by uh, an Italian politician. A fictionalised account of the true story of La Plata Rugby Club's 1977-78 season. Okay, awesome. That sounds very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. Pretty horrific. Yeah. And any any self-loathing any, any self-loathing Brits that uh, use the Falklands as another reason to try and uh, beat up yeah, your own you beat up your own country, maybe give it a read. Yeah, quite right, quite right. Right, there you <laughs> go. Right, well, now we can go. Lovely, good one. Uh, right, we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 